It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Today, a Jack London story from his book, South Sea Tales, called Ya, Ya, Ya. And now, our story. He was a whiskey-guzzling Scotchman, and he downed his whiskey neat, beginning with his first tot punctually at six in the morning, and thereafter repeating it at regular intervals throughout the day till bedtime, which was usually midnight. He slept but five hours out of the twenty-four, and for the remaining nineteen hours he was quietly and decently drunk. During the eight weeks I spent with him on Oolong Atoll, I never saw him draw a sober breath. In fact, his sleep was so short that he never had time to sober up. It was the most beautiful and orderly perennial drunk I have ever observed. McAllister was his name. He was an old man, and very shaky on his pins. His hand trembled as with a palsy, "'especially noticeable when he poured his whiskey, "'though I never knew him to spill a drop. "'He had been twenty-eight years in Melanesia, "'ranging from German New Guinea to the German Solomons, "'and so thoroughly had he become identified "'with that portion of the world "'that he habitually spoke in that bastard lingo "'called Beche de Mer. "'Thus, in conversation with me, "'Sun he come up,' meant sunrise. "'Kai Kai he stop,' meant that dinner was served. "'And belly belonged to me walkabout.' meant that he was sick at his stomach. He was a small man, and a withered one, burned inside and outside by ardent spirits and ardent sun. He was a cinder, a bit of a clinker of a man, a little animated clinker, not yet quite cold, that moved stiffly and by starts and jerks like an automaton. A gust of wind would have blown him away. He weighed ninety pounds. But the immense thing about him was the power with which he ruled— Oolong et al. was 140 miles in circumference. One steered by compass quartz in its lagoon. It was populated by 5,000 Polynesians, all strapping men and women, many of them standing six feet in height and weighing a couple of hundred pounds each. Oolong was 250 miles from the nearest land. Twice a year a little schooner called to collect copra. The one white man on Oolong was McAllister, petty trader and unintermittent guzzler and he ruled Oolong and its six thousand savages with an iron hand. He said, Come, and they came. Go, and they went. 
They never questioned his will nor judgment. He was cantankerous as only an aged Scotman can be, and he interfered continually in their personal affairs. When Dugu, the king's daughter, wanted to marry Hunan from the other end of the atoll, her father said yes, but McAllister said no, and the marriage never came off. When a king wanted to buy a certain islet in the lagoon from the chief priest, McAllister said no. The king was in debt to the company to the tune of 180,000 coconuts, and until that was paid, he was not to spend a single coconut on anything else. And yet the king and his people did not love McAllister. In truth, they hated him horribly, and to my knowledge, the whole population, with the priests at the head, tried vainly for three months to pray him to death. The devil-devils they sent after him were awe-inspiring, but since McAllister did not believe in devil-devils, they were without power over him. With drunken Scotsmen, all signs fail. They gathered up scraps of food which had touched his lips, an empty whiskey bottle, a coconut from which he had drunk, and even his spittle, and performed all kinds of deviltries over them. But McAllister lived on. His health was superb. He never caught fever, nor coughs, nor colds. Dysentery passed him by, and the malignant ulcers and vile skin diseases that attack blacks and whites alike in that climate never fastened upon him. He must have been so saturated with alcohol as to defy the lodgment of germs. I used to imagine them falling to the ground in showers of microscopic cinders as fast as they entered his whiskey-sodden aura. No one loved him, not even germs, while he loved only whiskey, and still he lived. I was puzzled. I could not understand six thousand natives putting up with that withered shrimp of a tyrant. It was a miracle that he had not died suddenly long since. Unlike the cowardly Melanesians, the people were high-stomached and warlike. In the big graveyard, at head and feet of the graves, were relics of past sanguinary history. Blubber spades, rusty old bayonets and cutlasses, copper bolts, rudder irons, harpoons, bomb guns, bricks that could have come from nowhere but a whaler's trying-out furnace, and old brass pieces of the 16th century that verified the traditions of the early Spanish navigators. Ship after ship had come to grief on Oolong. Now, thirty years before, the whaler Blennerdale, running into the lagoon for repair, had been cut off with all hands. In similar fashion had the crew of the Gasket, a sandalwood trader, perished. There was a big French bark, the Toulon, becalmed off the atoll, which the islanders boarded after a sharp tussle and wrecked in the Lipau passage, the captain and a handful of sailors escaping in the longboat. Then there were the Spanish pieces, which told of the loss of one of the early explorers. All this, of the vessels named, is a matter of history, and is to be found in the South Pacific Sailing Directory. But that there was other history, unwritten, I was yet to learn. In the meantime, I puzzled why six thousand primitive savages let one degenerate Scotchman live. One hot afternoon, McAllister and I sat on the veranda looking out over the lagoon with all its wonder of jeweled colors. At our backs, across the hundred yards of palm-studded sand, the outer surf roared on the reef. It was dreadfully warm. We were in four degrees south latitude, and the sun was directly overhead, having crossed the line a few days before on its journey south. There was no wind, not even a cat's paw. The season of the southeast trade was drawing to an early close, and the northwest monsoon had not yet begun to blow. "'They can't dance worth a damn,' said McAllister. 
I had happened to mention that the Polynesian dances were superior to the Papuan, and this McAllister had denied, for no other reason than his cantankerousness. But it was too hot to argue, and I said nothing. Besides, I'd never seen the Oolong people dance. "'I'll prove it to you,' he announced, beckoning to the black new Hanover boy, a labor recruit who served as cook and general house servant. "'Hey, you, boy, you tell him one fellow king come along me.' The boy departed, and back came the prime minister, perturbed, ill at ease, and garrulous with apologetic explanation. In short, the king slept, and was not to be disturbed. "'King, he plenty strong fell asleep,' was his final sentence. McAllister was in such a rage that the prime minister incontinently fled to return with the king himself. They were a magnificent pair, the king especially, who must have been all of six feet three inches in height. His features had the eagle-like quality that is so frequently found in those of the North American Indian. He had been molded and born to rule. His eyes flashed as he listened, but right meekly he obeyed McAllister's command to fetch a couple of hundred of the best dancers, male and female, in the village. And dance they did, for two mortal hours, under that broiling sun. They did not love him for it, and little he cared, in the end dismissing them with abuse and sneers. The abject servility of those magnificent savages was terrifying. How could it be? What was the secret of his rule? More and more I puzzled as the days went by, and though I observed perpetual examples of his undisputed sovereignty, never a clue was there as to how it was. We'll return with Ya, Ya, Ya by Jack London, right after these sponsor messages. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. And now, back to our story. One day I happened to speak of my disappointment in failing to trade for a beautiful pair of orange cowries. The pair was worth five pounds in Sydney if it was worth a cent. I had offered 200 sticks of tobacco to the owner, who had held up for 300. When I casually mentioned the situation, McAllister immediately sent for the man, took the shells from him, and turned them over to me. Fifty sticks were all he permitted me to pay for them. The man accepted the tobacco and seemed overjoyed at getting off so easily. As for me, I resolved to keep a bridle on my tongue in the future. And still I mulled over the secret of McAllister's power. I even went to the extent of asking him directly, but all he did was to cock one eye, look wise, and take another drink. One night I was out fishing in the lagoon with Oti, the man who had been mulked of the cowries. Privily I had made up to him an additional hundred and fifty sticks, and he had come to regard me with a respect that was almost veneration, which was curious, seeing that he was an old man, twice my age at least. 
"'What name you fella Kanaka all the same pickaninny?' "'I began on him. "'This fella trader, he one vela. "'You fella Kanaka, plenty vela, too much. "'You fella Kanaka, just like him dog. "'Plenty fright along that fella trader. "'He no eat you fella. "'He no get him teeth along him. "'What name you too much bright? "'Suppose plenty fella Kanaka kill him?' "'He asked. "'He die,' I retorted. "'You fella Kanaka kill him plenty fella white man long time before.' "'What name you fright this fellow white man?' "'Yes, we kill him plenty,' was his answer. "'My word, any amount. Long time before. "'One time, me young fellow too much. "'One big fellow ship, he stop outside. "'Wind he no blow. "'Plenty fellow Kanaka, we get him canoe. "'Plenty fellow canoe, we go catch him that fellow ship. "'My word, we catch him big fellow fight. Two, three white men shoot like hell.' We know bright. We come alongside. We go upside. Plenty fella. Maybe I think fifty ten. He meant five hundred. No fella white Mary. He meant woman. Belong that fella ship. Never before I see him white Mary. By and by plenty white man finish. One fella skipper he no die. Five fella. Six fella white man no die. Skipper he sing out. Some fella white man he fight. Some fellow white man he lower way boat. After that, all together over the side they go. Skipper he sling white Mary down. After that they washy, meaning row. Strong fellow, plenty too much. Father belong me. That time he strong fellow. He throw him one fellow spear. That fellow spear he go in one side of that white Mary. He no stop. My word. He go out other side that fellow Mary. She finished. Me no fright. "'Plenty Kanaka, too much, no fright.' "'Old Odie's pride had been touched, "'for he suddenly stripped down his lava-lava "'and showed me the unmistakable scar of a bullet. "'Before I could speak, his line ran out suddenly. "'He checked it and attempted to haul in, "'but found that the fish had run around a coral branch. "'Casting a look of reproach at me "'for having beguiled him from his watchfulness, "'he went over the side, feet first, "'turning over after he got under "'and following his line down to bottom.' The water was ten fathoms. I leaned over and watched the play of his feet, growing dim and dimmer as they stirred the wan phosphorescence into ghostly fires. Ten fathoms, sixty feet, it was nothing to him, an old man, compared with the value of a hook and a line. After what seemed five minutes, though it could not have been more than a minute, I saw him flaming whitely upward. He broke surface and dropped a ten-pound rock cod into the canoe, the line and hook intact, the latter still fast in the fish's mouth. "'It may be,' I said remorselessly. "'You know fright long ago. "'You plenty fright now along that fellow trader.' "'Yes, plenty fright,' he confessed, "'with an air of dismissing the subject. "'For half an hour we pulled up our lines "'and flung them out in silence. "'Then small fish sharks began to bite, "'and after losing a hook apiece, "'we hauled in and waited for the sharks to go their own way.' "'I speak you true,' Oti broke into speech. "'Then you saw me, we fright now.' "'I lighted up my pipe and waited, "'and the story that Oti told me in atrocious beche de mer "'I hear turn into proper English. "'Otherwise, in spirit and order of narrative, "'the tale is as it fell from Oti's lips. "'It was after that that we were very proud. "'We had fought many times with the strange white men "'who live upon the sea, and always we had beaten them. "'A few of us were killed,' But what was that compared with the stores of wealth of a thousand thousand kinds that we found on the ships? 
And then one day, maybe twenty years ago, or twenty-five, there came a schooner right through the passage and into the lagoon. It was a large schooner with three masts. She had five white men and maybe forty boats' crew, black fellows from New Guinea and New Britain. And she had come to fish Beche de Mer. She lay at anchor across the lagoon from here, at Palou, and her boats scattered out everywhere, making camps on the beaches where they cured the Beche de Mer. This made them weak by dividing them, for those who fished here and those on the schooner at Palou were fifty miles apart, and there were others farther away still. Our king and headman held council, and I was one in the canoe that paddled all afternoon and all night across the lagoon, bringing word to the people of Palou that in the morning we would attack the fishing camps at the one time, and that it was for them to take the schooner. We who brought the word were tired with the paddling, but we took part in the attack. On the schooner were two white men, the skipper and the second mate, with half a dozen black boys. The skipper with three boys we caught on shore and killed, but the first eight of us the skipper killed with his two revolvers. We fought close together, you see, at hand grapples. The noise of our fighting told the mate what was happening, and he put food and water and sail in the small dinghy, which was so small that it was no more than twelve feet long. We came down upon the schooner, a thousand men, "'covering the lagoon with our canoes. "'Also we were blowing conch shells, "'singing war songs, "'and striking the sides of the canoes with our paddles. "'One chance had one white man "'and three black boys against us. "'No chance at all, "'and the maid knew it. "'White men are hell. "'I've watched them much, "'and I'm an old man now, "'and I understand at last "'why the white men have taken to themselves "'all the islands in the sea. "'It is because they are hell.' "'Here you are in the canoe with me. "'You are hardly more than a boy. "'You are not wise, "'for each day I tell you many things you do not know. "'When I was a little piccaninny, "'I knew more about fish and the ways of fish "'than you know now. "'I am an old man, "'but I swim down to the bottom of the lagoon, "'and you can't follow me. "'What are you good for, anyway? "'I do not know, except to fight. "'I've never seen you fight, "'yet I know that you're like your brothers.' "'and that you will fight like hell. "'Also you are a fool like your brothers. "'You do not know when you are beaten. "'You will fight until you die, "'and then it will be too late to know that you are beaten. "'Now behold what this mate did. "'As we came down upon him, "'covering the sea and blowing our conks, "'he put off from the schooner in the small boat, "'along with the three black boys, "'and rode for the passage. "'There again he was a fool, "'for no wise man would put out to sea "'in so small a boat.' The sides of it were not four inches above the water. Twenty canoes went after him, filled with two hundred young men. We paddled five fathoms while his black boys were paddling one fathom. He had no chance, but he was a fool. He stood up in the boat with a rifle, and he shot many times. He was not a good shot, but as we drew close, many of us were wounded and killed. But still he had no chance. I remember that all the time he was smoking a cigar— when we were forty feet away and coming fast, he dropped the rifle, lighted a stick of dynamite with a cigar, and threw it at us. He lighted another, and another, and threw them at us very rapidly, many of them. I know now that he must have split the ends of the fuses and stuck in matchheads, because they lighted so quickly. Also, the fuses were very short. Sometimes the dynamite sticks went off in the air, but most of them went off in the canoes, and each time they went off in a canoe, that canoe was finished. 
of the twenty canoes. Half of them were smashed to pieces. The canoe I was in was so smashed, and likewise the two men who sat next to me. The dynamite fell between them. The other canoes turned and ran away. Then that mage yelled, Yah! 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 at us. Also he went at us again with his rifle, so that many were killed through the back as they fled away. And all the time the black boys in the boat went on rowing. You see, I told you true. That mate was hell. Nor was that all. Before he left the schooner, he set her on fire, and fixed up all the powder and dynamite so that it would go off at one time. There were hundreds of us on board, trying to put out the fire, heaving up water from overside, when that schooner blew up, so that all we had fought for was lost to us, besides many more of us being killed. Sometimes, even now, in my old age, I have bad dreams in which I heard that mate yell, Yah! 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 In a voice of thunder he yelled it. But all those in the fishing camps were killed. The mate went out of the passage in his little boat, and that was the end of him we made sure. For how could so small a boat, with four men in it, live on the ocean? A month went by, and then one morning, between two rain squalls, a schooner sailed in through our passage and dropped anchor before the village. The king and the headmen made big talk, and it was agreed that we would take the schooner in two or three days. In the meantime, as it was our custom always to appear friendly, we went off to her in canoes, bringing strings of coconuts, fowls, and pigs to trade. But when we were alongside, many canoes of us, the men on board began to shoot us with rifles, and as we paddled away I saw the mate who had gone to sea in the little boat spring up upon the rail and dance and yell, Yah! 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 That afternoon they landed from the schooner in three small boats filled with white men. They went right through the village, shooting every man they saw. Also they shot the fowls and pigs. We who were not killed got away in canoes and paddled out to the lagoon. Looking back, we could see all the houses on fire. Late in the afternoon we saw many canoes coming from Nihi, which is the village near the Nihi Passage in the northeast. They were all that were left, and like us their village had been burned by a second schooner that had come through Nihi Passage. We stood on in the darkness to the westward for Palu, but in the middle of the night we heard women wailing, and then we ran into a big fleet of canoes. They were all that were left of Palu, which likewise was in ashes, for a third schooner had come into the Palu Passage. You see, that mate, with his black boys, had not been drowned. He had made the Solomon Islands, and there told his brothers of what we had done in Oolong. And all his brothers had said they would come and punish us. And there they were in the three schooners, and our three villages were wiped out. And what was there for us to do? In the morning the two schooners from windward sailed down upon us in the middle of the lagoon. The trade wind was blowing fresh, and by scores of canoes they ran us down and the rifles never ceased firing. We scattered like flying fish before the Bonita, and there were so many of us that we escaped by the thousands, this way and that, to the islands on the rim of the atoll. And thereafter the schooners hunted us up and down the lagoon. In the night time we slipped past them, but the next day, or in two days, or three days, the schooners would be coming back, hunting us toward the other end of the lagoon. And so it went, we no longer counted, nor remembered our dead. True, we were many, and they were few. But what could we do? I was in one of the twenty canoes filled with men who were not afraid to die. 
"'we attacked the smallest schooner. "'They shot us down in heaps. "'They threw dynamite into the canoes, "'and when the dynamite gave out, "'they threw hot water down upon us, "'and the rifles never ceased talking. "'And those whose canoes were smashed "'were shot as they swam away, "'and that mate danced up and down upon the cabin top "'and yelled, "'Yah! Yah! Yah! "'Every house on every smallest island was burned. "'Not a pig nor a fowl was left alive.' Our wells were defiled with the bodies of the slain, or else heaped high with coral rock. We were twenty-five thousand on Oolong before the three schooners came. Today we're five thousand. After the schooners left, we were but three thousand, as you shall see. At last the three schooners got tired of chasing us back and forth. So they went, the three of them, to Nihi in the northeast, and then they drove us steadily to the west. Their nine boats were in the water as well. They beat up every island as they moved along. They drove us, drove us, drove us, day by day. And every night the three schooners and the nine boats made a chain of watchfulness that stretched across the lagoon from rim to rim, so that we could not escape back. They could not drive us forever that way, for the lagoon was only so large, and at last all of us that yet lived were driven upon the last sandbank to the west. Beyond lay the open sea, There were ten thousand of us then, and we covered the sandbank from the lagoon edge to the pounding surf on the other side. No one could even lie down. There was no room. We stood hip to hip and shoulder to shoulder. Two days they kept us there, and the mate would climb up in the rigging to mock us and yell, Yah! 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 Till we were well sorry that we had ever harmed him or his schooner a month before. We had no food, and we stood on our feet two days and nights. The little babies died, and the old and weak died, and the wounded died. And the worst of all, we had no water to quench our thirst. And for two days the sun beat down on us, and there was no shade. Many men and women waded out into the ocean and were drowned, the surf casting their bodies back upon the beach. And there came a pestilence of flies. Some men swam to the sides of the schooners, but they were shot to the last one. And we that lived... We're very sorry that in our pride we tried to take the schooner with the three masts that came to fish for the best de mer. On the morning of the third day came the skippers of the three schooners, and that made in a small boat. They carried rifles, all of them, and revolvers, and they made talk. It was only that they were weary of killing us that they stopped, they told us. And we told them that we were sorry, that never again would we harm a white man, and in token of our submission we poured sand upon our heads. "'and all the women and children set up a great wailing for water, "'so that for some time no man could make himself heard. "'Then we were told our punishment. "'We must fill the three schooners with copra and beche de mer. "'And we agreed, for we wanted water, and our hearts were broken, "'and we knew that we were children at fighting "'when we fought with white men who fight like hell. "'And when all the talk was finished, "'the maid stood up and mocked us and yelled, "'Yah! Yah! Yah!' After that, we paddled away in our canoes and sought water. And for weeks we toiled at catching beche de mer and curing it, and gathering the coconuts and turning them into copra. By day and night the smoke rose in clouds from all the beaches of all the islands of Oolong as we paid the penalty of our wrongdoing. For in those days of death it was burned clearly on all our brains that it was very wrong to harm a white man. By and by, the schooners full of copra and beche de mer and our trees empty of coconuts, the three skippers and that mate 
called us all together for a big talk, and they said they were very glad that we had learned our lesson. And we said for the ten thousandth time that we were sorry, and that we would not do it again, and we poured sand upon our heads. Then the skipper said that it was all very well, but just to show us that they did not forget us, they would send a devil-devil that we would never forget, and that we would always remember any time we might feel like harming a white man. After that the mate mocked us one more time, and yelled, "'Yah! Yah! Yah!' Then six of our men, whom we thought long dead, were put ashore from one of the schooners, and the schooners hoisted their sails and ran out through the passage for the Solomons. The six men who were put ashore were the first to catch the devil-devil the skipper sent back after us. "'A great sickness came,' I interrupted, for I recognized the trick. The schooner had had measles on board, and the six prisoners had been deliberately exposed to it. "'Yes, a great sickness,' Odie went on. "'It was a powerful devil-devil. "'The oldest man had never heard of the like. "'Those of our priests that yet lived we killed "'because they could not overcome the devil-devil. "'The sickness spread. "'I have said that there were ten thousand of us "'that stood hip to hip and shoulder to shoulder on the sandbank. "'When the sickness left us, there were three thousand yet alive. "'Also, having made all our coconuts into copra, "'there was a famine. "'That fellow traitor!' Oti concluded. He like him that much dirt. He like him clam, he die kai-kai. He stop, stink him any amount. He like him one fella dog. One sick fella dog, plenty fleas stop along him. We no fright along that fella traitor. We fright because he white man. We savvy plenty too, much no good kill white man. That one fella sick dog traitor, he plenty brother stop along him. White man like him, you fight like hell. We no fright that damn traitor. Sometime he made Kanaka plenty cross along him, and Kanaka want him kill him. Kanaka he think devil devil, and Kanaka he hear that fellow mate sing out, Yah, 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 and Kanaka no kill him. Oti baited his hook with a piece of squid, which he tore with his teeth from the live and squirming monster, and hook and bait sank in white flames to the bottom. Shark walk about he finish, he said. I think we catch him plenty fellow fish. His line jerked savagely. He pulled it in rapidly, hand under hand, and landed a big gasping rock cod in the bottom of the canoe. Son, he come up. I make him that damn fellow trader one present, big fellow fish, said Oti. Thank you for joining us for Ya 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 by Jack London, from his book called South Sea Stories. We appreciate reviews here at 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales, so if you have a moment, and if you're an Apple listener, please do send us a review. Join us next week Sunday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for a brand new episode from 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. Oh, and by the way, we have a special announcement for 1001 Greatest Love Stories, one of our podcasts. Due to popular demand, Anne Shirley from Anne of Green Gables has now returned to 1001 Greatest Love Stories in Lucy Maud Montgomery's second novel in her Anne series, Anne of Avonlea. You'll find it to be a heartwarming and often funny story that will capture your heart. All of you here at 1001 Classic Short Stories and 1001 Sherlock Holmes Stories and the best of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle do have one thing in common. You really enjoy good stories, and this is one. Give Anne of Avonlea a try over at 1001 Greatest Love Stories. And if you haven't enjoyed Anne of Green Gables, that's over there as well, and it's a good starting point for you. The entire Anne series is great storytelling, and by the way, you'll also find lots of great short stories at 1001 Greatest Love Stories, so give it a try today. 
Until next Sunday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back before you know it.